So welcome to another episode of Talking with Apples. Today we have John O'Reilly, a software engineer at NEAT. And today we have a very interesting topic, which is going to be talking about cross-platform development and multi-platform development. Uh, this is a really, really interesting topic. It's our first one for the year. So yeah, I just want to say welcome, John. Thanks very much, PJ. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So yeah, I think I think we're just gonna start off with like um, throwing you in the deep end, right? Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go and I'm gonna say I'm, I want to do some introduction questions to kind of this topic because I think it's quite a an interesting topic. Um, many people are probably thinking about it from a business perspective, from a development perspective. Um, so I wanted to ask you, can you maybe just walk us through what is cross-platform development and what is multi-platform development? And maybe we can get like a difference between the two. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And, and, and uh, I mean, uh, I think my understanding has probably changed recently. I, I think I would have had certain assumptions about what they meant. And I think it's the terms are certainly overloaded. I mean, I, I suppose, first of all, how I would have understood them before was that cross-platform was sort of an all-encompassing framework where you're using something like React Native or you're using Flutter, you know, to develop your application, you know, write once, run many. Whereas multi-platform, at least in my understanding, was <clears throat> more about the general capability to run to run code, you know, on a range of platforms, to share code, basically, code sharing more than sort of developing a full application. But the terms are overloaded. I, I, I've, I've seen um, JetBrains use them, use them interchangeably sometimes. And, you know, we have composed multi-platform now, so it's not necessarily even about the sharing of non-UI code. At least maybe with Compose Multi-Platform, you could argue, okay, well, it's sharing code. It's just UI code we're sharing at this stage. So, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's a confusing ecosystem anyway. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think these terms definitely get overloaded. It, it, it's very, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not too sure. I, I, I did um, I did a bit, of, this came up again recently, and I think I did a bit of Googling, but I, I don't think I'm any wiser from having done that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah, I think, I think as, um, Pretty much, um, for my understanding, like back in the days, everybody was like, cross-platform is, is kind of like the solution to write once, deploy everywhere. Um, and then when kind of like, I think JetBrains kind of got to this point where they were like, Hey, we have this thing called multi-platform. Um, and people were like, Oh, what's that? Like, that seems a little bit different. And then everybody was like, Oh, I guess that's kind of just like this Xamarin. Um, because Xamarin was kind of big, like, and they were like, Oh, we write with one language and kind of deploy everywhere. But then they had this whole thing of like, Oh, you can still write your UI though, um, natively. And everybody was like, Oh, this seems interesting. Um, but I mean, I guess, I guess it kind of like, um, kind of like solves, um, some of the similar problems. But I think, I think this kind of like leads me into the situation of like, there's obviously all these multi, there's a multi-platform and I spoke about like UI now. Um, and we have these native, um, platforms um, and toolkits that are kind of changing the game within native development. Um, how does that like with SwiftUI and Jetpack Compose, how is that kind of like fitting into or at least competing with these multi-platform um, and cross-platform technologies. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, like you said about Cotton Multi-Platform, I mean, it, it was, and I think it still is, very much focused on sharing non-UI code. And the assumption there is that you'll continue to use Swift UI on iOS, Jetpack Compose these days on Android, you use Xcode, you use whatever particular frameworks you, you, you've grown to love on your, you know, developing on iOS and similarly on, 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 um, on Android, in, in Android Studio. Um, you know, whereas 
you know, and this is the thing, you often see people say, well, how does Cotton Multiplatform compare with Flutter, for example? But it, it's there's, it's not an apples to apples comparison. Um, you know, and, that, that, and that's the thing I think that that is a little bit, um, can cause some confusion, certainly, that, you know, when, when people are sort of comparing the different approaches. Uh, and this is, I mean, you know, just more generally speaking, I mean, this this has been the, the big attraction of Cotton Multiplatform to me personally, is that it's pragmatic. It, it's recognizing that a lot of developers want to use the best of breed technologies, particularly app iOS developers, as you probably know. <laughs> um, they, yeah. they, they want to stay as much as possible within the wall garden, um, use the latest Xcode, use, you know, they, they're in an environment where iOS versions are adopted much more quickly than Android, so they're able to avail of these capabilities. So particularly for iOS, I think, you know, ha- having this capability where they can continue to use, as I, as I say, the best of breed, continue to use Xcode, continue to use... Swift UI, use Combine if you're using it, use some of the new Swift 5.5 async stuff if they as soon as that comes out and is available. Um, whereas then, I mean, the, the nature of these cross-platform frameworks then is that there's a sort of a layer of abstraction then around these sort of native capabilities and that can work and, and, and often can, you know, depending on the, the type of application you're developing. But it has a number of drawbacks and one of them is then that you have, you're, you're lagging a little bit behind then in terms of those native capabilities in terms of making use of them and being able to make use of them um, as they become available. Okay. Yeah. And that's actually an interesting thing. And I think that was kind of one of the things that I always thought about, like cross-platform technologies is that like, um, they would always kind of like lag behind. So if there was new features like that kind of came out, um, then there was always kind of this, like, we kind of can't update to the latest version of Android because we still need to, the company that was kind of building it or whatever needed to figure out like, cool, does this actually still work? Like our platform, like the way we kind of like hooking into all these native capabilities and stuff and allowing you to be able to write JavaScript or C Sharp or um, whatever you, you're kind of writing on top of it. Um, so I guess that was something, whereas um, like you mentioned, like the Kotlin multi-platform kind of still allows people to use the latest stuff um, on top of whatever they're doing. So you don't, kind of just don't have that um, that delay anymore. Um and I think that's pretty great. Um, and I think um, something that I was actually just thinking about is the the languages that have kind of like been developed in these two platforms. So you spoke about Kotlin. We spoke a little about Swift UI and Swift itself. Um, how do you feel like these languages have kind of contributed um, versus like, I guess, Java and Objective-C? Because I think that's pretty much been one of the things that have kind of made this like, um, I guess, this great um, exploration into all these new new things that we have today. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's a fascinating area. I mean, you know, it's something that's been developing over time. I, I remember Jesse Wilson, I think, was talking about at the time back in 2019 in, in Square how they were ta- he was talking about Android iOS convergence, you know, as he called it, and talking about the fact that Kotlin and, and Swift were so similar, the languages were so similar. And this is before you know Swift UI and Jetpack Compose became available. Um, so yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, on a number of different levels. I mean, the languages are very similar now. Um, this convergence towards uh, this, you know, declarative UI frameworks with Swift UI on, on iOS and Jetpack Compose, of course, on Android, very similar to each other. Very easy to move between one and the other. Um, that in turn has kind of, I think, to some extent, led to a sort of a consolidation of an MVVM type of pattern approach, or at least some, you know, unidirectional data flow type variation of that, for example. Um, and now with Swift 5.5, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating. You have this uh, new async weight, async stream capability, which very closely maps to the sort of the approach being taken on uh, in Kotlin with sort of 
uh, Kotlin coroutines and suspend functions and flows, for example, you know, along with sort of structured concurrency and sort of life cycle aware cancellation, all these kind of things that are, are that, you know, so there's sort of technical, non-technical aspects to these convergences. I mean, the non-technical to some extent, well, I suppose it's still somewhat technical, but is we're starting to standardize even on the vocabulary and the terms we're using. You know, this was the point almost that I think that Jesse Wilson was talking about, or even, he said, you know, in, in the teams he was talking about, it wasn't even necessarily that they were sharing code, but at least having the iOS and Android teams, you know, working, and this would have been my experience in the past as well, in the same feature teams, solving the problems at the same time. Um, there's those aspects as well that are important, but but of course we've come on along since since then, as I said, with those with the addition of uh, SwiftUI and Jetpack Compose and and, and um, uh, the the new concurrency updates, and then we, uh, you know when you couple that, then I think with and this is where I think we, you you reach a sort of a productivity sweet spot to some extent, is that of course when you couple that then with Kotlin multi-platform for some of your shared code, then I think you you have the the sort of optimal level of sort of flexibility uh, that's possible. And I think flexibility, there was a, I was, uh, uh, JetBrains had a talk earlier today and, and um, one of the sort of the first of a series of talks they were going to do on, on Kotlin multi-platform. And that was the, the, the dominant, that, that was the key word that was coming out time and time again, flexibility. You know, this is, this is the key thing that you get there. You, you can use it, you, you can use it for as little as much as you want. You can, as we said already, you can use, you know, you can write your UI in whatever frame you want, but even within the shared code, then there's the capability to access platform capabilities when they're needed very easily as well, which is sort of a very interesting part of the overall solution. Yeah, I think I think that's actually key. I think like um, a lot of people didn't didn't really always know how to um, leverage those platform capabilities. They would probably go to like. Um, I don't know, to GitHub and find like a la- random library because they want to kind of use Bluetooth or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, I don't really know how to do this. Um, but like there's so many examples of how to do it natively and just being able to plug it in um, yeah. makes it a lot easier. And I love I love the example you had there around um, the same kind of like wording. So like um, async await was something that's just been like introduced into Swift. Um, and everybody in the Swift community is excited, but I mean, like, obviously it's been around for a very long time. Yeah. And like, it's been, it's like you said, it's in coroutines. It's been in C sharp for a very yeah. long time. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been all over, right? But like, actually now kind of getting in the same kind of like terminology, um, is starting to help people actually solve, um, the same problems in a very similar way instead of saying like, Hey, we actually need to use this way to actually do it. And maybe this is actually going to differ in how, um, the user actually experiences, um, this particular, um, this particular feature or anything like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I'm seeing, uh, you know, if you look in the Android world, for example, and you look at maybe a couple of years back and we sort of converged towards Android architecture components and Kotlin and, and certain sort of design patterns. And like I said, MVVM and, you know, what that has led to is that I can pretty much download most sort of Android applications from GitHub and I immediately know where to look. I, I, I know what a repository is. I know what a view model is. Uh, I know where they should be, for example. Um, and and that's, there's a sort of huge cognitive load that's lifted being able to do that. And I think to some extent, if, if you sort of extend that a little bit across Android and iOS, then, you know, we're, we're potentially getting to that point as well where we have a such, you know, we, we can talk about an iOS and Android developer can talk. We're, we're probably going to be using very similar architecture. We're going to be using the same concepts and the same UI toolkits pretty much at this stage as well. So it's, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think even Rx did that for. Um, I remember working on a project where we kind of used um, Rx 
um, Java and we used RX Swift on the other project. And I think that was also very similar. Even though RX is always like this complex thing that people always talk about, but like I think it kind of was just one of those things where again, it kind of just brought everybody together in terms of like the same kind of terminology. Um, well, what we were doing, we had schedulers, we had this and that, yeah. and like yeah. people kind of like knew that like, oh yeah, this is kind of going to be like, um, we're kind of going to have the same kind of like um, workflow or at least the way we're solving the problem will be very similar. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's interesting. And then obviously when it came from Objective-C and, and Java, there wasn't kind of that very similarity, yeah, yeah. um, on that, on that point. Because Objective-C is completely like <laughs> way off compared to um, most languages yeah, um, yeah. out there. So uh, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit crazy, um, in that aspect. Yeah. So, um, I think so the, the kind of the next thing that I kind of wanted to jump in is kind of like, where do you, where do you kind of think like, um, native development is going these days? So like, I feel like when it comes to kind of like cross platform and all across platform or multi platform, um, I feel like we, we're kind of diverging into a, a place where, um, people shouldn't kind of like be calling themselves, um, uh, Android engineers anymore <laughs> yeah, because yeah. like I think we're working on a bunch of stuff or iOS engineers people like love like the titles and stuff but I like I really like this like kind of like mobile engineer um, type stream and the reason I say that is because I've kind of been dabbling between the platforms like in um, for quite a while um, started off as an iOS engineer and then like kind of went to Android and then jumped back to iOS and then Android um, and it's been really really cool to to kind of be in both platforms um, but like now with kind of like multi-platform, people are kind of moving towards um, kind of working on both. Um, even though iOS engineers are stubborn, um, <laughs> kind of like trying to, to stay in their ways. And like, whereas Android developers, I guess, are are looking to kind of like learn a little bit more about iOS. Um, where do you think that kind of like leaves native development today, especially because we have these new UI toolkits um, with Jetpack Compose and SwiftUI. Uh, people want to be playing around with all of these things, but like, um, is 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 kind of like the multi-platform, let's say Kotlin multi-platform, the platform we've all been waiting for, <laughs> the, tool, the tool that we've all been waiting for. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, and it, it sort of reminds me that, that JetBrain session that I mentioned that was on earlier today, they, they, uh, they read out a quote from a case study from this company that had adopted Kotlin multi-platform. And uh, the person said, you know, I started off as an Android developer and now I consider myself an iOS developer as well. You know, I think, and, and that's been the experience, I think, of a lot of people, particularly where we find ourselves today, as we, as we mentioned with the sort of technologies that are available today. I think, hopefully, I think, I think you're, to some extent, so there's a, there's a lot of dimensions, as you, as you know, in terms of the, you know, the nature of the, the project, the nature of the team, the type of company it is and so forth and the scale and so forth of what's being created. You see, you know, you certainly see People talking about using Kotlin multi-platform in a small startup company, and and where there's a sort of very fluid roles there, you know, where people are jumping back and forth very easily and very quickly between iOS and Android. In larger companies, it tends to be a little bit different. I mean, you you're sort of probably running into politics there as well a little bit, and you're running into the sort of the <laughs> yeah. To, 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 yeah to some extent or other, and you're, you're you're often dealing with entrenched teams who have been established and so forth, uh, and there's a sort of a clear demarcation there. Maybe it's a little bit harder to sort of readily have people that kind of work in both camps so to speak um but yeah i think that's that's kind of the promise to some extent is that we can become more general mobile developers i i, I feel there's always going to be a need potentially for platform specialists 
you know, people who understand, you know, whatever about what we mentioned there about the programming languages and the frameworks and so forth, each, each platform has its own particular vagaries dealing with App Store publication versus Play Store, you know, um, de- dealing with sort of all, all the sort of the associated aspects of the, the particular platform. I think there's always sort of scope, I think, and particularly for larger projects and larger teams, there's always there's going to be people who are very focused on their platform. But I think within, um, you know, I, I, as an example, not not a, not a very sort of big example, but uh, one of the open source projects I have. Um, most of my open source projects typically have Kotlin multi-platform, of course, <laughs> and uh, Swift UI yeah. and Jetpack Compose. And uh, it was a new one I was starting off, and I was just talking to someone in the community, and he asked, you know, can I can I do the Compose code? And I said, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll do the Swift UI, and you do the Compose. And we we, did, we sort of did it in lockstep a little bit, but whoever would do one first, not not exactly a copy and paste, of course, but it was so easy just to sort of pull in the Swift UI in and say, okay, very easy to map that to a to a take that Swift struct and map it to a compose function, for example. You know, the the text elements, the styling, a little bit different, things like that, but fun, fundamentally the same approach. And vice versa, you know, he, he would sort of take what I had done in SwiftUI and do in Compose. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, this, this this is worlds apart from where we were, were maybe even five years ago, you know, in terms of what's possible now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we literally had, like, XML views, um, and we had like I guess storyboards um, yeah, yeah, yeah. on iOS. Um, previously, it wasn't even storyboards; it was like X and Y coordinates, like putting like um, CG rect all over the yeah. place and like trying to get stuff onto a screen. We got constraint layout um, on iOS with storyboards, and then we got constraint layout in Android, um, which is also like amazing, um, which made the development a lot better. But like it was still kind, it still felt like worlds apart where. Um, where I think people that were doing iOS constraint layout was, were, were still like, I don't understand the Android one. And then the Android peeps would also be like, I don't understand the iOS constraint layout. Yeah. <laughs> it works completely different. Yeah. Whereas like this whole declarative approach, like you're mentioning is, is, is making things feel a lot more similar, um, and a lot more easy to understand. Um, in terms of where elements are going on the screen, where yeah. they are, like, yeah. um, how they get laid out, um, and yeah, and I guess it just it makes everything a lot easier, right? Yeah, um, which like is when, really really great. Yeah, I, I think I started looking into Kotlin multi-platform initially in um, sort of late 2018, and I had sort of an open source Android project at that stage, and I thought, okay, let me let me look at sort of creating an, an iOS version for this, and this is just before Swift UI was announced. And, you know, I was sort of, as you say, storyboards and view controllers and table views and so forth. And, you know, someone who doesn't open up Xcode very often is just struggling. And, and this has sort of got me, I, I sort of had, for some reason, I ended up watching the uh, WWDC announcement in 2019 um, when SwiftUI was announced. Because I had actually, I had been at Google I.O. a few months before that and, and they had announced Compose, even though, I mean, Compose, it was a, just at a very early stage of development at that stage. It was just more a concept, really. And it was sort of very abstract. It didn't, it didn't hit me as being what it would become in terms of the impact it would have. But then, uh, as an Android developer, then, uh, you know, that, that WWDC announcement, you could download a beta that evening and sort of try out SwiftUI. And I think that evening I got something up and running with SwiftUI and I was going, wow, okay, this, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah. This this makes this so much more approachable for somebody like me. And, and you know, you can imagine vice versa, obviously. And it's the experience I think people are even, people who are coming to even to Android development for the first time even now and using Compose, for example, you know, um, how approachable that approach is. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely think it's making it's making any but both of these platforms a lot easier to actually just start up and do um, to create views to kind of like understand 
kind of like how the platform works. Like it's not as difficult. I mean, obviously, if you're jumping into a massive legacy project yeah, or yeah, something like yeah. that, it might get a bit rough for you. Um, if you just kind of like compose, like you just learn compose or you learn software and it's like, oh, there's happy days. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, like you have to look at Objective-C and then you just have to cry. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so that gets crazy. But I kind of wanted to just jump in also to, um, to the Kotlin multi-platform thing again. So like, um, I think it's um, it's kind of becoming a really like forefront platform um, to to do mobile development. Um, but I kind of wanted to ask, like you mentioned, you had you have a few like open source projects around multi-platform, um, and I think you're, you're doing quite a bit in the community around this. Um, and I wanted to kind of find out from you, like, what do you feel like your developer experience is? Um, around um, actually developing with Kotlin multi-platform versus developing kind of just on one platform. So like kind of like, do you feel like it's faster? Do you feel like it's in it's easier um, in terms of like the business logic or in terms of writing like um, the service layers and all of those type of things? Or do you feel like it's a lot easier um, if you're just kind of writing everything for Android with Retrofit and kind of doing everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now you kind of still have to kind of know what's happening. Um, will this code kind of work on iOS? Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big, um, I don't know much too much about like Kotlin multi-platform. I played around with it a little bit, but like, yeah, getting into the integrates of like, um, all of those type of things. Yeah. Like, well, what do you, what do you feel like yeah. your experience is there? There's a lot of, I guess there's a lot of elements to that. Um, you know, the, it touches on things like, uh, team organization and, and, um, modes of consumption this is this is a big hot topic i think you know we're sort of peeling the layers of cultural multi-platforms has, has come from being something that was sort of just a, a, a concept and, and sort of early development to being something a lot more established and as is the nature of technology like this we're sort of going to the next level okay well okay if we've, we've sort of proven cultural multi-platforms approach okay well, well now let's dig a little deeper into how that should be consumed and particularly on ios ios is the one that kind of comes up time and time again you know um understandably this famous walled garden, you know, getting within this. And this uh, this came up in the discussion earlier today as well. You know, I think if you were to go back and, you know, there's a sort of purist approach that would say, okay, what you get with Cotton Platform is you have this common code and, and you have common ownership of this code. Your iOS and your Android developers should be able to and should jump in and make changes and so forth. What I'm seeing more and more, I think, with sort of these case studies that are emerging more and more is, is the sort of pragmatism kicking in in terms of, at least in the earlier, earlier stages, okay, typically an iOS developer is probably not going to come out on his own and sort of um, <laughs> shout for Kotlin multi-platform to be used. It's going to come from some kind of evangelist, somebody within the within the community, within the uh, team, you know, within the Android team or within the, the broad, a broader team, for, perhaps. And there's going to be a certain amount of hand-holding initially. I think, you know, again, that pragmatism I've seen sort of mentioned time and time again, where I say, okay, well, we want to set things up so that we, we make the ergonomics as, as we make the developer experience for iOS developer as least impacted as possible. Uh, and, and this is the nature of a Kotlin platform is I think once you get it established, once you get something in place, I think you can evolve it from then. You can sort of work up the stack. You can kind of, you know, um, start to involve your iOS developers a little bit more maybe in the code if, if, if necessary. Um, but that's the nature. I think that's also one of the advantages of, the, of this framework, I think, is that, is that it accommodates. It has that flexibility. It accommodates the range. <coughs> Excuse me. And, you know, so so you're seeing more and more options being available for um, creating Binaries from the shared code, for example, a, a, a very interesting one I think is where you can create a Swift package from your Kotlin multi-platform shared code. 
And in that case, then, from an iOS perspective, in that particular mode, just this just becomes another Swift package that, that you're, they're pulling in. You know, you host it up on GitHub or something, and you just go into Xcode and you say, I pull this in, and suddenly I have this API available to me. I, I don't necessarily know that it's coming from <laughs> Cotton Monday Platform shared code, or maybe maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, so that kind of talks to some of the team organization aspects. You know, some, some teams have a sort of SDK team, for example, uh, you know, which normally owns the shared code. Some teams, maybe this is driven from the Android team directly, um, and where you you know you you, you at least support I think a, a, a range of different consumption models that make it a, as and this is the other thing I think you know in terms of because uh, it is a big topic in itself is, is how do you, how do you I think the word socialize is sometimes is how do you socialize this with the iOS team and another big aspect another important aspect of this is is sort of the incremental adoption. Um, I was kind of joking with someone the other day that I think we should rename Cotton Monday Platform. Uh, how did I name it? The framework for sharing boring code. Okay, you, 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 want, you want to sort of say, okay, this is boring code. This this is code that you don't want to write. Okay, <laughs> this is this is your common analytics that you want to write on both Android and iOS. And you know that's an, an example frequently used. Our logging, or maybe maybe it's your local persistence, your core data, and your room code. And, and and you let you know you got as you know as a, as a sort of as, as someone who's worked on iOS I think iOS developers are very focused on compelling user experiences and you know you write this boring code for them <laughs> and, and they're free then they they work with the next code they're using SwiftUI they're using the latest and greatest capabilities there and they can really focus in and hone in on developing this compelling user experience while having this capability available to them then that's sort of just coming in um, almost transparently um, but that, and that, that's at least like I said I think it's it's, an, it's a mode of, a mode of consumption I think that is. Um, People are pragmatically, I suppose, uh, uh, using initially and, and then with the potential, almost like getting it in the door. <laughs> once you get in the door, then you can kind of build from that. Once you have your CI infrastructure in place, once you have all these aspects in place, then you can start maybe building up the stack a little bit more. You can start to involve maybe the RS team a little bit more in terms of uh, it, at least kind of being able to view. This is where some of the tooling, I think, is going to uh, definitely will improve. Um, you know, where it'll be easier for an iOS developer to sort of view and debug, for example, the shared code. And uh, depending on the nature, depending on what the changes they're work, make, working on, depending on um, what areas of the app they're working on, that may or may not make sense. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's uh, like I said, it's, it's definitely a big advantage of, of the, the platform is that it does accommodate that, those range of options. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's actually interesting. Like, it literally just caught me off guard, and I didn't. I kind of like totally forgot about tooling because, like, after like Kotlin's platform like one like you don't you kind of, you don't kind of think about like all the the tooling stuff. So yeah. like, um, you mentioned CI, you mentioned um like debug um tooling and all of those type of things. Um, and those are definitely very important to to all developers, right? Like you need to be able to debug, you need to be able to figure out what's happening. Um, now you're in you're in this project, and like your iOS app's not working, yeah. and and all of a sudden now it's in the shared code, and you're like, okay, cool. Like how do I kind of like <laughs> how do I fix this? Like it's not like I'm just gonna go like, hey, I know how Swift works. Um, now this like kind of like um, this Kotlin code that that needs to be written. Um, how is the tooling? Like, do you feel like the tooling has gotten to a point where it's actually really is viable, even for CI? I'm like, um, is it is it easy to kind of like get CI builds running, like actually deploying um of apps from CI to the store and all of those type of things? Or is it is there still like a lot of like manual steps that kind of need to go into this? 
um, because I think I guess tooling is really really important yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. in in any kind of developer experience. So um, I'm just wondering if the um, how the tooling is. I mean, I yeah, I'm not really sure if the tooling <laughs> is as advanced like um, to the point where you can say, okay, cool, like this is really this is some really good stuff that they've done here. Yeah, it's it's definitely an evolving area. So I mean, in terms of status, so Cotton Multiplatform Mobile, so you know. Just supposed to sort of diverge or just to go on a tangent slightly. I think people may have heard about Cotton Multiplatform and Cotton Multiplatform Mobile. And there's sort of a bit of confusion at those terms. I mean, Cotton Multiplatform Mobile is really just obviously focusing on the key use case of sharing on iOS and Android and, you know, comes with some associated sort of tooling and uh, plugin and, and guidance and so forth. But it, its sort of status is right, right now is alpha. So KMM is, is Cotton Multiplatform Mobile is considered alpha right now. And what, what JetBrains are working towards is, is uh, the beta release, which is sort of targeted at what they just sort of I guess somewhat loosely uh, earmarked for the spring, sometime in the spring. And if you look at sort of what they're focusing on for for beta, it, it really is around the, the tooler, the developer developer experience for the most part. There's there's things like um, there's definitely sort of technical changes that are key technical changes that are going into that in terms of things like memory management. If if, if you I don't know if you, if you've come if you've worked on Cotton Multiplatform before at all, you've probably run into you know it's probably one of the bigger challenges for many people adopting it or, or sorry approaching it was some of the, the memory model they approach in terms of how how memory is shared between threads and so forth. Um, that they, they've made some sort of fundamental changes to that, which is available as an experimental feature right now and is going to be I think released hopefully or will be included in the beta release. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the tooling part is definitely going to be something I think that will continue to evolve. You see, you see third party, like if you've worked in, if you've looked into cultural multi-platform at all, you're probably very familiar with TouchLab, who are a company uh, in New York who, who's sort of pioneers in the space, you know, people like Kevin Galligan, for example. And, um, they, they have a number of, uh, tools that they've been developing in terms of things like, you know, being able to view your Kotlin code from within Xcode, being able to debug your Kotlin code, for example. Um, he, Kevin himself was on that session earlier today and he was talking about, you know, well, that consumption model as well. Exactly. Like how, how do, how do I create something where I, where I have the best of both worlds, where I can publish a binary that a, that a iOS developer can pull in and use, but still provide the capability to somehow switch over to a sort of a, to debug into the code if necessary, for example. So I think the, these, I think this is just the nature of technology development that, uh, you know, once that core capabilities are, are, are created and, and become available, then we start to sort of build on that then. And I think tooling will be one thing that will definitely continue to, uh, to develop. Okay, yeah, I think I think that's that's actually I love the the, the distinction between the two because I always get confused about it, like with Kotlin multi-platform and like because I mean there's also like now there's um, uh, desktop development yeah, and, and yeah. web and and all of those type of things. Um, we were just kind of like oh, like um, Kotlin JS or whatever, but it's kind of all part of this multi-platform situation. Um, whereas like KMM, like the mobile version, is kind of like its own little thing now. Um, so yeah, like thanks for kind of like also bringing me back to that that um, realization because I keep forgetting about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think definitely the the tooling is something that um, I think will obviously um, be really really great. And I think like you mentioned um, with uh, with being able to take a Swift package, um, people being able to develop there and like kind of just put it in. Um, that's also great. And I do and I think definitely. From a UI perspective, like I do think like um, people do on iOS love creating really good and smooth UIs yeah. and like that's the, that's the thing where I guess a lot of a lot of maybe other cross-platform um I guess development um uh, tools 
didn't kind of see that because like Apple kind of like develops these things to run perfectly yeah, exactly. on their platform. Yeah. And like, I think when you're kind of like using maybe a whole bunch of like JavaScript stuff or whatever, and you're trying to put like, um, I don't know, like I've, I kind of did a project where we did Ionic and stuff and like, it just ended up not being great just because um, like the UI wasn't, it just, it just didn't flow the way it did um, by actually writing this natively. Um, so yeah, like maybe you can speak about like that, like um, Android, Android UI, um, like just running natively. I think that's like a massive thing in iOS um, UI running natively, like um, that difference, like how yeah, does Kotlin multi-platform obviously just gives you that ability to do that, yeah. Absolutely, and that that's really a critical part of the sort of, the, you know, what the, I guess that, term, that expression, the value proposition, you know, it, it really is an important part of it, is that you do get that. You, you, you're, you're not only just able to from a hope, you know, from a performance perspective, write native UI code that's going to perform better, but you're also going to be able to avail of UI capabilities as as they develop, which I think is is very interesting and very important. I think uh, again that session earlier today came up about a particular cross-platform framework where there was an issue with Yank or, or something in, in terms of lists, and they were waiting on it's been they'd been waiting for a while for the framework to sort of. Uh, to fix that, basically, and you're sort of at the mercy. You have a layer of abstraction there that, um, and I and I don't want to. I mean, I, I don't want to be overly critical. I, I mean, I just step back for a moment and say, I mean, these frameworks like React Native and Flutter. I mean, there's a lot of very solid engineering that's gone into those. I mean, there's a lot of sort of very, you know, some some fantastic engineering has probably gone into those. And I, and I do think there are types of applications and types of situations where where maybe they are the right approach to use. Um, but I think. My concern a little bit, I suppose, and just maybe a little bit biased from history, maybe, <laughs> um, is that they're a little bit, they're sometimes they're oversold, I think, in terms of just um, their broader use. I think you, you, you've got to look. And and, and, the, and the other thing, I, I sort of, I, I, I keep meaning to sort of create a sort of, an, a sort of an infographic of this to some extent, but what I'm trying to be capturing in my head is this sort of, this picture, if, if I can, of, of sort of, if you think of native development as, as this sort of um, unrelenting trajectory, you know, it's just like, you know, if you look at it, I've working on Android development since 2010 and it's just been constantly steadily improving you know all the time you know each a new language new new framework new capabilities new understandings of the frameworks to use and so forth and I think these cross-platform frameworks to some extent kind of they capture a moment on that on that trajectory and they say okay well you know this is what native development is like it's very hard you know if you use these frameworks you don't do that but it, they don't necessarily recognize the fact that these frameworks you know and it kind of goes back to the point of as, as a developer, I mean, hopefully, you know, if, if you're in for the long term, so to speak, if you, if you see mobile development as your career and you want to be doing it for more than, you know, like, um, then, you know, you're sort of, you're investing in the, in the continued development of success of the native platform. And I, and I think as a, if I was advising somebody, um, I would definitely advise people, you know, start certainly starting off their career, I think, to, to sort of, if they have the, if they have the option. To, to to jump into native development and, and invest in that, I think you know over the longer time, if you if you look at the history of mobile development over the last twelve years, you know it's it, it's like uh, I was trying to I was trying to imagine a sort of or what am I trying to say a, a kind of a, a metaphor of like um, what was the the movie. Um, you know, this sort of just this constant just keeps getting up and it just keeps going. You know, it it it's sort of. Uh, uh, I can't, yeah, I can't think of it. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, it's just un this unrelenting progress, basically, that that you have with you know with more with native development, and and you know as yeah. I said, I've been developing like I said for you know ten twelve years now, or um, and you know over that time, various various some of these these frameworks have come and gone over time, um, you know every 
every six months we, we see sort of a new case study of a company that has sort of adopted them and realize, okay, well, you know. So this thing, I, I, as I said, I don't want to be too negative about them, but I just think they're oversold a little bit. And I think there's a false economy there in terms of the, the, the issue sometimes to some extent is that you can make progress very quickly with them. And but the devil's in the details, you know, in terms of uh, then you, you know, you get into a particular platform interaction or then you need to use a particular capability. And, and then that's, that's this massive time sink then. And, and you have the sort of three language problems to some extent in that case, because, you know, even, even though, you, you, you know, you say, OK, I'm going to use darts, whatever. But you ultimately still need to extend in, in it, again, it depends the type of application you're developing. If you're developing an application, a one off application for an event and it's reading some JSON back from a server and it's showing it in a list. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> You're not going to run into problems with you know that's that's perfect perfect use case and and probably beyond that as well of course you know. Um, but you know if you if you're dealing with certainly the type of applications I've traditionally been working on where there's a lot of platform and, um, dependencies and platform interaction, um, you can do those things that would take you you know that are immediately possible using native te- APIs and, and and technologies can potentially be this massive time sink then if you if you're trying to get them working then in using a, a cross platform framework. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I've I've worked on one or two projects that were cross-platform, um, and there was always a point like where we needed to use some kind of like hardware um, layers, like um, like Bluetooth for for yeah. instance. Like Bluetooth is hard. Yeah. Like even on Android, <laughs> yeah. Bluetooth is hard natively. Um, and now we're 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 trying back in the days. We were trying to connect to some beacons and stuff like that, and like it was it was just a mess. Like. I'm um, trying to do this on a cross platform. And then again, like you mentioned, the three, the, the, um, the three language thing where you end up then just kind of like having to probably figure out like, cool, we're probably going to have to write some kind of native wrapper now yeah. and then actually wrap that in something so we can hook it in, um, into what we have at the moment. Um, and I think even with, I think Airbnb had those articles, yeah. um, that they kind of brought out and um, about React. I think it was React Native, yeah. um, that they were using and, they kind of mentioned that also, and that kind of like resonated with me because previously um, I worked on a cross-platform project and I kind of was like, yeah, now I need to kind of like know Objective-C, I need to know um, Java, I need to also know um, HTML and CSS, I need to know JavaScript, and it's all just to write one thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, it's kind of like, you're just kind of like scrambling between things, um, jumping in here, cool, we, we're trying to do this Android thing. Um, we don't have... Um, we don't have the capability or it hasn't been done before or there's like some kind of like um there's some kind of like open source um, project that someone did a wrapper but hasn't been maintained for like three years <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so you don't really want to use it at this point because you're like if anything goes wrong also like mobile development moves so fast right so at the end of the day like once you once you hit like um, even like a one-year mark of something not being maintained, it's almost like I don't even know if this is gonna work on Android 12 yeah. um, because like so much, so many platform things have changed. Um, but you mentioned something, something really interesting there also is um, around kind of like using these these platforms. Everybody thinks it's always like a, um, a an easy solution. And how do you how do you find like um, how how do businesses kind of like business kind of minded people or product minded people? Um, kind of like see these uh, either cross-platform development um, platforms or even like multi-platform particularly um, because everybody loves a, a right once um, yeah, yeah. deploy everywhere it's a situation um, how, how do you find how do you see how do you see that um, kind of like evolving even in the multi-platform um, kind of environment 
Yeah, I mean, this is where I guess the, the sort of the softer aspects of this come into play a little bit, and the, and the politics to some extent. To be honest, you know, and this is the thing I worked for a very large company before my current company, and and um, you know, every every year or two, a new product manager or somebody would come in, and they had they had read some headline about some the latest and greatest cross-platform capability, and they were saying like, why do we have a separate iOS and Android team? Why can't we just you know? They, they read this sort of paragraph probably or something, and said you know. And it's very hard to battle against that in many ways. I mean, the, the nature of it is, unfortunately, that the burden of proof always seems to fall on, on, on the native, you know, when you're doing native development, to, 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 to explain the subtleties, to explain the, those. So yeah, it's challenging. Um, I, I, I think um, p- people probably more skilled in, in the political side of things than me can probably go, hopefully will, 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 um, will be better at tackling this. But, you know, in terms of, yeah, how, how do you, what's the term, you know, advocate for, how, how do you evangelize it? Um, I think one thing will be we're seeing an increasing amount of, of very solid case studies um, about people. And, and this is the other thing, you know, that's interesting. Uh, when you compare the adoption of KMM and Cotton Multiplatform versus a cross-platform, it tends to be sort of a quieter under the surface type. And the nature of the technology is that you can sort of slowly adopt it. As I said, you sort of pulled in for some very shared, you know, your shared logging, your shared um, analytics, something like that. And there's a lot of adoption that's happening quietly under the hood, that that that, that sort of, under the surface rather, sorry, that is sort of, whereas, you know, when adopting Flutter or React Native or whatever, it sort of tends to be a sort of, a, uh, what would you call it, a bigger bang sort of affair in terms of just the, the yeah, how, how that how that's sort of... Um, mentioned or how that's covered um but I, I think hopefully more and more of those case studies will when, when people see i mean the other i suppose the a key thing that is a key aspect of it i suppose in regards to what you mentioned there i think that's very important is people talk about risk management so you know if, if you if you want to explain it from that perspective i think that that's definitely a very valuable way to, to do it in terms of you know there isn't a sort of a vendor lock-in there isn't a sort of a, an all-in commitment that you have to do which is typically the case with these frameworks uh, you know you can start to adopt it slowly and you can decide maybe you know a couple months down the road you know hey this just didn't work out for us that's fine you haven't really impacted too much your, your you know your, your existing teams your schedule your your, your sort of uh, technology um so I think I think that's probably you know that that's where this again this pragmatism this flexibility that's kind of mentioned over and time, over over and over uh, with with cotton multiplatform um, comes into play you know that that sort of this optionality that sometimes that's sometimes described as this ability to sort of just pull it in um, if I need to access platform capabilities they're available to me um, if I decide that you know I want to pull in I want to instead of using uh, the shared code for with, with Ktor making a remote API for whatever reason I decide to sort of switch to using um, uh, something that's more an iOS SDK and maybe continue to use KMM for some other capability that's the kind of flexibility you get uh, and I, I think that's an important aspect. Okay. Yeah. No. Definitely. And and like you you mentioned like risk management and that's kind of like stuck with me right now. Um. Because the the reason I say that is for um developer jobs. I would say. Yeah. Um. Like kind of like the job market. So I think one one of the things that I kind of noticed about like um posts that kind of I've seen around KMM is that like people are not necessarily looking now for Flutter developers. They're looking for developers that have done iOS development natively or they've done Kotlin Android development. And it's not like 
you now have to be um, an expert in Dart um, and Flutter yeah. by yourself, <laughs> or you have to be this React Native um, developer and stuff like that. Where where previously, yeah, you had to pretty much go and know Dart. You had to have um, some kind of experience within Dart. Um, whereas it's a lot easier. That's what I. That's kind of what I've seen. I've never had a KMM job um, before, but like I'm, I'm just kind of like thinking about it. Like I think like if I had to ever work on a KMM project, I think it would be easy to adopt um, or easy to jump into, just because like I've done some Android and iOS. Yeah. Um, but even if I was just an I, um, an Android developer um, looking to jump into KMM, it's a lot easier um, because of the shared code component. But even from an iOS point of view, it's like you can still kind of do at least. Um, 30% of the project with, and then you can kind of like learn the rest. Yeah. Um, in terms of like looking at Kotlin, a language that's very similar to Swift, um, like we mentioned in the beginning. And, um, I guess over time, you could kind of like start making changes and kind of like doing that. Um, yeah. which, which then kind of like helps the, the whole thing. So, um, I think, I think that's actually, it actually mitigates some of the risk. Absolutely. I would yeah. say in yeah. terms of like having developers available almost, yeah. um, kind of using this approach over, I guess, again, we're not trying to like negatively impact yeah. any of these other frameworks, but like at the end of the day, it kind of just does make sense that like if you, um, looking for a developer in the, in the Flutter community, um, you kind of need to know some that knows Dart, right? And knows Flutter, the actual framework itself. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot harder. Yes, you can, um, they can learn it, but like, it's, it's not as easy. It's not going to be as fluent, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes back to that sort of that term flexibility. I think on a number of different levels, I think it, it, it's a very flexible approach. And like I said, sort of touching, you know, what you said there and just touching on an earlier point, you know, as I said, if, like, I don't want to be overly negative either about these frameworks, but I definitely, if, if, if I'm advising a developer who's kind of interested in getting into mobile development and is in, who's interested in for the longer term, um, I'd just be wary of, of sort of, you know, pigeonholing yourself into this sort of, you know, a particular cross-platform framework. Whereas I, I know just from experience, you know, as I said, this unrelenting trajectory of, of, of native development is that if you, if you invest in yourself as a native developer, you know, that that that's sort of that's a good investment in terms of the longer term progress of your career and you know the, and the technology and so forth and your use of the technology and so forth. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think and even on that point, even like I think the um, all of these um, kind of like things that come from SwiftUI and Jetpack Compose and like Kotlin, um, these are kind of also supported by the actual, I guess, first party companies that are actually building these platforms. Yeah. Um, yes, Flutter is also built by Google and all of those type of things. But like, let's say React Native is like from Facebook and all of those type of things. It's kind of like not, nothing is like kind of first party. Um, whereas like yeah. when architecture components comes out, you know, these are first party libraries. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't really say they're third party libraries. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of like trust that like it's been tested internally well with the kind of like platform itself. And exactly the same, um, with Swift. Um, like, yeah, Apple's also kind of like releasing some, like they release like a logging, um, platform. Swift is also open source. You can kind of see what's happening there. Um, so I think all that, that first party stuff is also great. So I, I would, I would definitely agree. People coming into the platform, young, um, developers. Um, I think it's, it's still, like you said, the traje- trajectory of, um, of native development is getting a lot better yeah. as the years go by. Yeah. Um, and these companies like Apple and Google are investing a lot of time, um, and engineering, um, 
into these platforms. So they're not gonna, they've been around for a very long time. They haven't <laughs> run away. No. Um, and people are building on top of them, right? So like, I think, I think it's definitely a safe, it's always a safe bet. Um, but there's always use cases. I would say, like, like you said, um, yeah, if you, if you're not kind of like using, like a bunch of hardware stuff and all of that, and your app is like very simple. Like there's definitely use cases for a lot of these um, other cross-platform stuff. Yeah. Um, as long as you don't get yourself into a place where um, you kind of need to like start using native capabilities that are kind of also yeah. not available um, in terms of like ease of use or even like let's say the Flutter team hasn't built it and you're looking at some open source stuff that is kind of like not maintained or whatever, then it kind of gets a little bit tricky in my in my opinion. Yeah, it's funny. I was kind of thinking about this and I was going back and forth a little bit in my head you know, because I say, okay, well, say you have a basic application, you know, so, so part of the basis for using these cross-platform frameworks is you say, okay, well, native development is too hard, okay? You know, it's too hard to, to develop something that's simple or whatever. So I have an application that's getting some JSON back from a server and I want to display it in a list and you say, okay, well, you know, you can very easily do that with Flutter in a few minutes probably. Um, but then, you know, you, we're finding ourselves in the native environment, you know, native ecosystem where those kind of scenarios are so easy to do these days anyway as well you know to, to, to put you know if, if, you, if you look at what what's involved in creating a list you know in in the past we would have had you know recycler views and view adapters and xml layouts and files i have two kotlin function now you know that is my composable functions that render a list render you know take some state and render it and it, it's so easy and, and likewise in in, in swift ui um, so that's the other kind of dynamic here that's kind of interesting a little bit you know on, on one hand we're saying okay well yeah, okay, maybe these cross-platform frameworks are suitable or are appropriate for these sort of simple use cases. But at the same time, we find ourselves in the native environment where it's become very almost trivial to those kind of scenarios as well anyway. So, yeah, it's, I'm not, yeah, I'm kind of going back and forth in my head a little bit about <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, for sure. I think I think even the, the, the fact that, like, I mean, I don't know, like, when, when you're kind of, like, working with some of these frameworks, I think you kind of get to the point also where it's not as easy as, like, um, like you kind of like just go click a play button and you write a list, you add some data array in there and it kind of like renders your list. Um, and you just click a play button. There's like command line stuff that you have to make sure that you have correct and how do you deploy this? And then yeah. you know, make sure your Xcode bold is working correctly and you have the right version and you have the CLI. And now you have Gradle. So now you need to know how Gradle also works. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas like, I guess you just have a plug and play um, situation. Um, I mean, obviously these platforms are also making it a lot easier. Like, I don't know much about React Native. I don't even know how you like start a React Native project. Like, is there a play button? All I want to do is go found you and click play. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can you do that? Like, if, if it's if it's kind of not that simple, yeah. then like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually actually wanted to go. Um, you you spoke about something like that kind of still is sticking in my mind. Is like, is the K two situation? Um, in terms of like using KTOR, um, but also um, I've noticed in a lot of your projects, you love using GraphQL. Um, and this is something that's, that's really interest in, interesting for me um, because I don't really know in South Africa in particular, any company, like I know, I know one person that says that he's using um, GraphQL at his company, but GraphQL in from a South African context, like is just kind of like not really being adopted. Um, but I find it like such an interesting um, way to kind of connect with your backend and stuff like that. Um, just the way it's kind of being done. Um, what kind of made you look at from a Kotlin multi-platform to use um, GraphQL over using like normal REST? And then also like with Ktor, like does it does it kind of like work as like 
um, really well with Kato also. Yeah. Um, like how does how does that whole yeah, it's, it's, mix it's, kind it's, of like it's interesting. come it, in? Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be on a number of levels. I mean, I suppose first of all, it's definitely been a slow burner technology. You know, I remember several years ago watching GraphQL talk. I think at at one of the Droidcons, and it seems like the last year, anyway, probably the last year, we're seeing more and more of these high profile. Again, these kind of case studies come up of, you know, I, I can't even remember, I think it was a Netflix or somebody, some of the, one of these large companies, a number of these large companies starting to adopt GraphQL. Um, but I, I, I guess the, the sort of, the impediment, I suppose, to some extent, I suppose, is that people are used to REST, people have infrastructure that supports REST, and, and, and they're sort of, from a back-end perspective at least, they're sort of more experienced in probably exposing REST endpoints and so forth. Um, whereas I suppose there's a little bit more work involved from a, at least a learning curve probably to adopt GraphQL from a back-end perspective. From the client perspective, I suppose what got me interested in, in, in it was um, from a, on a, n- a number of reasons. Uh, you know, from a mobile perspective, one of the big things, this capability that it has is, is it supports this ability to sort of what they describe as avoiding under or overfetching of data. So you have, you know, as you've probably seen, you know, with, with a GraphQL query, you specify exactly the data you want to get back. So there isn't, you know, this thing where, you know, on a, on a mobile, on a, on a bad network connection or so forth, you want to obviously minimize the amount of round trips you're making and so forth, additional points of, of failure and so forth. And, and with GraphQL, you can query exactly the data you want in a single query, for example. So that's very powerful. Um, and then I suppose I got, I got interested in it from the perspective of Cotton Multiplatform in that I was looking at a, Apollo. I don't know if you've come across Apollo, but there's a, there's a very, there's, yeah. a, there's an Apollo, you know, there has been for a while. It was an Apollo Swift client, for example, and there has been an Apollo Android client. Um, but now there's an Apollo Kotlin client, uh, or Apollo Kotlin library, sorry. Um, and, uh, you know, this was sort of an additional, you know, you, you could, now you have this ability to write this, uh, GraphQL access code in, in your shared code, which is very interesting to start off with. Um, but then, you, you know, if when you take something like Apollo, then you have this code generation capability where you can sort of, you can pull down the schema for, for your content and you can you generate a strongly typed client library and, and data model associated with that. So that's, that in itself is very powerful as well. I mean, you know, if you, there's ways around this and there's different approaches, but in REST, typically, maybe you, you want to look at some JSON and you're going to create a data model around that and you hopefully have some idea whether this is nullable or not nullable or so forth and, and what the data type actually is. In some cases, it's maybe not clear. You know, here, you know exactly what you, you know, you, you have the strongly typed data model that's automatically generatable from your, from your backend schema, which is, which is fascinating. Uh, and then, um, you know, what you get then with the likes of Apollo supports this normalized cache and, that actually uses, um, you know, SQL Delight, for example, under the hood, for example. You know, I don't know if you come across SQL Delight. It's sort of a very common persistence library used on Kotlin Multiplatform in particular. Um, but it actually uses SQL Delight under the hood to persist your data in, in a local cache. So what you then get is this kind of all-in-one capability is that with a pretty minimal amount of code, I, I have a capability to query back the, exactly the data I want with very with known data model and type around it and have it persisted locally be able to support offline access and all these kind of things that you need in a mobile platform so yeah it's, it's i've been I've, I've been sort of very much sort of uh, i don't know what the word is <laughs> sort of swayed or no swayed i don't know um very very much sort of uh, uh yeah i find it find it a fascinating t- technology and i'm just i'm kind of surprised a little bit that it hasn't been adopted more but I, at the same time i think it is starting to get wider usage and, and certainly um, like I said, it's been a bit of a slow burner, and I think hopefully it'll be something that more and more people will adopt. Yeah, no, definitely. I think 
I think for me, um, GraphQL, when I first um, heard about it and saw uh, like a talk about it, um, the thing that you mentioned there where you can query the data that you just want, like that was like almost like mind blowing for yeah. me because um, for me, um, the, the part where we, some of, some of the companies I've worked for, we would have mobile specific services and then we would have um, services yeah. for like the web or whatever and stuff like that. So it kind of like just like destroyed that whole thing. Um, and then the other thing was, or you would just kind of get like this massive dump and then you would need to kind of like say, okay, cool. I only need like five of these things. Um, <laughs> yeah. so you create like DTOs or something yeah. like that. And then you only use, um, that from like a DTO, like within your, um, your application and stuff. Um, but like at the end of the day, all that data is still coming over the network, right? So at the end of the day, like, like you said, um, if you're in environments where, um, network is not great, um, you kind of have um, your payloads become a lot smaller um, in that aspect also. Um, so I think I think that that for me was the the biggest benefit. And I see that like with I guess with Apollo, it's become like a lot easier, like you mentioned. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then like obviously the generation um, of of um, with the schemas um, that's also amazing and uh, making things strongly typed because yeah I think depending on the language um, you kind of like write your backend in if you're writing your backend in JavaScript like you could get anything yeah, exactly like yeah, I've yeah. seen it like <laughs> like JavaScript is just like I mean obviously we have to, this TypeScript now and like so like if people are listening and they love JavaScript and they just like. <laughs> I'm not attacking JavaScript, I promise, because you guys have TypeScript. But um, at the end of the day, like JavaScript, you can pretty much like have an object and it could be anything. They could be sending an integer today and then tomorrow with the same service, someone could put an array of strings in there and the service would still come back and it's not strongly typed. Um, and that's not great. Um, but yeah, I think I think from that perspective, like it's really really cool, but I definitely like that that capability, and I and I love I'm um, seeing really cool use cases like you mentioned, um, with this new Kotlin client that's kind of like coming with um with Apollo, um it's obviously like you said um SQL delight under the hood with the caching and all of those type of things, it's obviously going to make um it a lot easier um to adopt within multi-platform projects. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just going to, I know, you know, my samples by their nature tend to be kind of a bit toyish, you know, they're, they're a small scale, really. They're mostly just to demonstrate the technology. But even, even so, I'm just being so blown away by how much you can create with, with so little code, you know, um, just the capability that you get out of the box by, by having a, you know, take down this schema, generate this client. I have a query available to me. I have, you know, flow support, for example. So, you know, we're dealing in a, you know, in a, in the environment where, in general, I suppose, but certainly with declarative UI frameworks where we're dealing with a lot, a lot more sort of reactivity, we're, we're dealing with sort of observing data, this sort of unidirectional data flow and so forth. Apollo has this, for, for example, a watch keyword that exposes a flow. So I can have this, you know, source of truth, single source of truth coming from, from a repository, for example, the shared code, driving a list being shown in my composed code and my Swift UI code. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very impressive, I think, what, what can be done. Uh, the devil's always in the detail, I'm sure, as, as, you, as you build up more complex cases. But, um, but it is something that, and that's the other thing, I suppose, it is something that I think scales then beyond that. It, it, does, it does accommodate, I think, quite complex uh, scenarios. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I think, I think over time, all of these, all of these things will kind of just get a lot better. I think as adoption gets better, people, um, run into different types of problems, um, and sharing the problems that they have, like through the community and stuff like that, um, is going to just kind of like show either, 
um, strengths or weaknesses of certain platforms and people are obviously going to try and um, make that a lot better and a lot easier. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, I think kind of like the, um, the thing that I would say from what we've been speaking about today is that like, um, development is becoming a lot easier within mobile, like across, um, across native development, across like, let's say multi-platform development, trying to make everything easier so that like, I guess developers can focus on, um, building fantastic user experiences. Yeah, yeah, that's... Um, and I think that's, and that, that's what the user, the user gets in and they don't care about what's behind. Um, if you're using, um, I don't know, an AC yeah, task yeah, 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 or a loader <laughs> or a flow or like whatever, right? You're going back, like back in the days now. Um, but like, um, they don't really care about that. They just care about like the, the great user experience that they're going to have and, um, if developers can kind of also be focusing on a lot of that, like I guess it makes um, applications like a lot, um, a lot better for the people that actually, I guess, use these applications. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it, it, it's a it's a very interesting time. I think in the mobile development space. I think um, you know, we like we like we said a few times. You know, the night and day between to the, you know the situation today versus uh, four or five years ago. It, it's it's incredible to see the sort of transition that's taken place. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but yeah, um, John, I think that from my side, um, I think that's kind of all I have in my mind today. Um, I don't know. Do you do you know of any like good resources that people can kind of like, especially for Kotlin multi-platform? I know that like I'll link your GitHub because I think it's fantastic um, in the show notes. Um, so people that kind of want to look at some of the technologies we've been speaking about, like the GraphQL and Apollo, and um, especially like um, all the cool Swift stuff that you've also been doing with like um, the async await, um, concurrency stuff I've seen. So I'll definitely link those. But like any good resources in, let's say, the KMM area yeah, um, that you want to mention? Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the KMM docs themselves from JetBrains are are, are very good. I mean, they, they've been steadily building, building that out over time, um, a lot more sort of you know, that part of the sort of rebranding around KMM was also sort of around documentation and guidance, sort of more focused guidance around that. So they've guidance themselves that they've written are ones that TouchLab, for example, have contributed. So the, and, and, you know, um, going into detail in different scenarios, for example, and pulling in some of the use cases, like some of those case studies, for example, which are interesting. Um, but that's, yeah, that's... Um, that's definitely a very good starting point, at least, I think, is, is the sort of the, the official KMM docs. And, you know... Um, as you say, there's some good samples around. TouchLab have some very good samples as well. Um, I, I've got a I blog occasionally um, about KMM, mostly related stuff, but you know sometimes about Swift or Compose. So if they, they may or may not be useful um, to, to people depending on what they're looking at or not. Um, my 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 blogging tends to be very reactive. You know, I, I think I think it's kind of Twitter driven. I think <laughs> is how I describe it. You know, I, I, I'll be sitting yeah. I'll be sitting at home watching a rugby match or something, and and uh, a tweet often actually from an I, I follow a lot of people in the iOS developer community. You know, and uh, a tweet will pop up from from one of those folks, and I go, oh, that'd be cool to do that in Kotlin multi-platform. You know, <laughs> so you know, it's, it's, there goes the next couple of hours. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, our, our as technology develops and things like that, like, like you say, that I think, wait, I think it was fascinating to see that kind of develop. And uh, I think it's, I don't think we've necessarily appreciated really the sort of the implications of that. I think, I think that's a powerful development. And again, like we said at the start, you know, yet another area where we're seeing that convergence that, and that commonality between iOS and Android, which is very interesting. Okay. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, yeah. So I'll definitely link your blog and like, 
Um, and then like, yeah, I think, I think there, there's a lot of resources out there. I think you, you on Twitter also, you're quite active. So I think definitely people will be able to, to grab some resources, but like, yeah, um, this is, this has been fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed it. Like this conversation, like I'm sure there's so many other things that we probably could still speak <laughs> about. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, but thanks so much for, Thank for joining me, um, on this, um, conversation today on, um, podcast and yeah where can people actually find you on twitter or on any other platform um so before we go so twitter is probably the way probably i probably spent too much time on twitter actually but uh it's jay o'reilly <laughs> uh, jay o'reilly is, is my twitter handle and th- if you look at my profile on twitter it's got links to github my github repositories and also to the the uh, blog john o'reilly.dev is the blog but there's a link from my twitter handle as well um so hopefully probably if you were to google john o'reilly and, and cotton multi-platform you probably <laughs> would find uh too much information probably nice. but uh, <laughs> you'd probably find find my handle that way as well okay awesome yeah and i'll also just link it in the show notes um so if anybody um, wants just quick access to it like yeah it'll be in there but yeah thanks so much i really appreciate it and yeah hopefully we can we can chat about this um, sometime again. Maybe when um, Kotlin multi-platform mobile is in 1.0 yeah, stable, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe <laughs> then we'll have another discussion. I'm sure there'll be a lot to to talk about around like it and kind of like whatever whatever else is happening within the mobile development space. So yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Bye. Cool. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on Talking with Apple's podcast. Cheers.